You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. If you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word. We, as I said, are going to be in Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at the first eight verses. I've preached on Romans chapter 12, the verses 1 and 2, a few times since I've been a pastor, but I never really considered seriously just how Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 sets up verses 3 through 8. And so we stand to honor the reading of God's Word because we believe the Bible is authoritative. We believe that it is the Word of God. We believe that, uh, and I believe especially, that I have nothing better to offer you than what's in this book. And so that's why we stand to honor the reading of it. Beginning with verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another." having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So on March 26, I preached a sermon titled, Where Are All the Dinosaurs? I found this uh, cartoon. (laughs) It made me laugh. There's another one. (laughs) Uh, Visit, go online. You can listen to that sermon or read the manuscript. Uh, In that sermon, what I tried to do is just highlight from Genesis, uh, well, really, from Genesis 1 through Genesis chapter 6, how when Adam and Eve sinned, in Genesis chapter 3, how things went from bad to worse. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, things are just so upside down, such a mess. Uh, the heart of man, uh, the, the word tells us in, in chapter 6 of Genesis, is, was exceedingly wicked. And that is the reason why God flooded the earth and he spared Noah and his family. Uh, I spent a whole sermon just unpacking that. And that's been, in my view, the story of mankind. I mean, how many of you heard about the mass shooting in Texas? You know, eight people were murdered yesterday. And uh, seven wounded, I believe. Four of those seven who were wounded are in stable condition. And the rest are in critical condition. Our world is a mess. 
We read in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin was indeed in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. That's like the story of our, uh, of our society. I, I, the question keeps being asked, you know, so, so how, how do we stop this? And everybody has an opinion, right? Oh, if we take away the guns, then, then that will stop it. No, the problem is us. The problem is human beings. There are laws that we can put in place to suppress the, the evil that we're capable of, of carrying out, but our world is upside down. And Jesus, and you remember, for those of you who were here for the Sermon on the Mount series, like Jesus said, we are the light of the world. Like His followers, the, the, the church, the Christian, is the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. He put us in this world for a purpose and for a reason. But the story of mankind is one of just running from God. And the promise of God is that he would reverse the curse of sin, that he had a plan of redemption, and he would make what is wrong with this world right, but he would begin with one life at a time through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 44, uh, verse 3, God promised, I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. I quoted Ezekiel 36, just loosely. It says, I will give you a what? A new heart and a what? New spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and to be careful to obey my rules. Uh, if you're a Christian in this room and you remember the day that you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I think you'll remember that there was something that happened. You can't quite put your finger on it. You, can't, you may not be able to articulate it clearly, but a switch was turned on. The affections of your heart were turned on for God. And uh, I've seen that over and over and over again. I experienced it in my own life. And this promise is the, is the new covenant promise that God would do something supernatural in our lives and the mediator of that supernatural thing that he would do is through Jesus Christ and everything that he accomplished on the cross. Jesus said that the reason that he came into the world was to seek and save the lost and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the life he lived that we could never live. That's why he came. He told his disciples hours before he would be betrayed and then crucified, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. It is the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, and you will, but you will see me, because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus promised us a helper. He promised his disciples a helper. He, 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 after he rose from the grave, he told his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That, that, that statement was not meant just for the disciples. 
uh, the original disciples is also meant for us in our place, in Cheyenne, in Wyoming, in the surrounding states, and in the world. We are the witnesses of Jesus Christ, and he's empowered the Christian. He's empowered his church to do his mission. What kind of power? The kind of power that enables a person to love God, keep his commandments, follow Jesus, and engage the mission of God in, in this world. And, and so what I want to do is, is, this is not, let me just say, say from the beginning, that this is not a sermon on what the spiritual gifts are. I'm going to talk a little bit about that and, and highlight you know, the ones that at least are listed in, in Romans chapter 12. But I just want to make a case for you that God has given you everything you need to accomplish the mission that he has commanded you to, to, be, to engage, to be a part of. And, and so I, I have like three points. One is just how does the Holy Spirit help? So, so it's kind of a sermon on the Holy Spirit, but with an emphasis on how he has gifted you and I to accomplish the mission that, he, that, that, he, that we're called to engage if you're a Christian in this room. It, the moment you believed in Jesus Christ, you were, what the Bible describes, you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. You were baptized. You were baptized by the Holy Spirit. This is not a mystical event where you felt some warm fuzzies or some crazy thing happened to you, most of you anyway. It was probably quiet. You placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, maybe it happened, the catalyst for that was, was a, a prayer that you prayed. You felt a stirring in your life to give your life to Jesus. And the moment that you did that, the Bible says you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's a one-time event. It's the promise of the helper that Jesus promised his disciples. The supernatural phenomena that happens with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that you are now able to respond to God in love and faith and in, in, in a way that you were unable to do so previously. It is impossible, listen, this might agitate somebody, but it is impossible for you to love God as you're called to love him apart from saving faith in Jesus Christ. You just can't. It's impossible. Um, you may think it's love, but it really isn't. Until you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are unable to love God. And as a result of giving your, faith to, your life to Jesus, God enables you to love him. It's like the, the, the illustration I think of is kind of like if you think of a bottle with water in it, that water is free to move with inside that bottle, but it's not until you remove the cap that the water is able to go beyond the, 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 the bottle, Right? Um, that's what circumcision of the heart is. The moment you believe in Jesus and then receive the Holy Spirit as the promised helper, he begins a work in your life known as regeneration. That's another word that's important. If you're a Christian, what has happened to you is that now you're, you're a new creation, the Bible describes you as, that is experiencing a transformation of life resulting in living out the practical righteousness that God has called us to. Like he, there's this change that's happening in your life. And, and it's gradual. It's messy. Right? It's, not, it's not just, it's, there's no easy button to regeneration. Like it's, it's not like you know, the switch where you, you go from not believing in Jesus, then you believe in Jesus, and then you're living a holy life. That, that's not the way it works. 
It's a waltz. Two steps forward, one step back. In my experience, sometimes it's two steps back and one step forward, right? And, and so he's doing this work in your life. He empowers, the Holy Spirit empowers you to live a life that is pleasing with each passing day as God molds and shapes your character through the power of his spirit. That's the power Jesus was talking about. And here's, here's something I've said before. I'll say it again. I actually don't think I could say it enough. Uh, I've been a pastor long enough to hear folks say, I just need more of the Holy Spirit so I can just live for him better. You have all of the Holy Spirit that you could ever possibly need. The issue when it comes to living out the life that God has called you to live in obedience is not about you getting more of the Holy Spirit, but about the Holy Spirit getting more of you. I'm going to talk a little bit about how you do that. How is it that, how are you able to, 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 li- to posture your life in such a way, align your, wife, your life in such a way to where the Holy Spirit grabs more of your heart, that God gets more of your heart? I had a mentor, and he was one of my bosses at a, at a job. I shared this story, so some of you were familiar with the story. I remember coming back from Burma or Myanmar, having sought the approval to marry my wife. And my boss gave me, I managed uh, the uh, bulk mail output. That was my, that was my job um, at this company. And uh, I was his first employee. He was a, he, he's a Christian. His name's Kevin, godly man. Uh, spoke into my life those four years I worked for him. But I had the audacity when I came back after being gone for almost a month to ask him for a raise. Like, like <laughs> he's like, you, really? And he could have said so many things to me. Like, looking back, he could have said so many things to me. He didn't. He just, said, he just asked me a simple question. He said, Keith, when is God going to have all of your heart? And it's exactly what I needed to hear. You have all the Holy Spirit you could ever <clears throat> need to live the life that God has called you to live. The question is, how much of your heart does he have? Which leads me to the, the next point, and this gets us into Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> you were saved to live worshipfully. Couldn't find a better way to say it. I don't know, there's probably a better way to say it than that. But I was just thinking in, in light of those first two verses where Paul says, I appeal to you. I appeal to you, therefore. It's the way the ESV words it. The, the NIV Uh, I think it's a little more helpful. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, um, offer your bodies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here's the deal. My my hope is every time I preach is that somehow I help you be able to read your Bible better. That's why I believe in expository preaching. Uh, You'll hear me say this multiple times, context, context, context. When you read a verse, just don't pull the verse out of nowhere. Read that verse in light of its context. And what is it? there are certain clues that the English, English language gives us for context, and it's also in the Greek. And here it's therefore. There's a, you, you know, one of the phrases I learned in Bible college is if you see the word therefore, find out why it's therefore, right? <laughs> um, in light, of what I just, in light of all that I said, Paul writes here in chapter 12, verse 1, 
Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, Paul, what did you say? Well, <laughs> glad you asked. Uh, even though you were unrighteous, Jesus died for your sins to provide you with, the, with his righteousness, Romans chapter 3. When you were an enemy of God, he loved you anyway and sent his son to die for the purpose of reconciling you to himself, Romans chapter 5 and 6. When you were far off, God called you, predestined you, and justified you, will one day glorify you and will keep you and will never disown you, Romans chapter 8 and chapter 9. You who were not considered the people of God are now the people of God. You who were once not beloved by God are now loved by him. You who were once a child of his wrath are now sons and daughters of the living God, Romans chapter 10 through 11. And in, and in conclusion to all that, at the end of chapter 11, setting up chapter 12, we, we, we read these words. Let's read this together. Ready? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen? Like, that's... Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11. Romans is such an awesome book. Like I preached through uh, not all of Romans, but a good chunk of Romans uh, during our COVID days when we were all shut down. And, uh, and so it's chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. It sets up chapter 12, verse 1. In light of that, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now does that make sense? <laughs> like, in light of that, in light of all of that, all that God has done in, in, you know, for you through Jesus, you are now His. You're redeemed. You're made alive. You're made new. You're a child of the living God. So in light of that, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, how do you do that? Well, he, he, he continues. You know, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There are all kinds of ways in the Old Testament to express your worship to God. There are three ways I just want to highlight uh, for you. There was the sin offering, so you had the temple, and, you, and the people would bring their offering before the Lord. It was a, it was a way of worshiping the Lord. Uh, in fact, just, so you, just to put this on your, your radar, I'll be preaching a sermon series through the book of Malachi uh, towards the end of the summer, early, early fall, which is all about worship. But uh, there was a sin offering where there was the shedding of blood that that was done through the sacrifice of an animal for the sins of the people. It was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for, our, for us in our place. There was the thank offering. It was a type of sacrifice that acknowledged the goodness of God in one's life. And then there was the tithe offering. We, you know, uh, Pastor Dan talked about that last week, about, about giving, the, 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 the financial piece. There was the tithe offering, the third type of sacrifice given in, in the Old Testament. And... Uh, to present your body as a living sacrifice is to present yourself to God both as a thank offering and as a tithe offering. That's chapter 12. 
Who did the sin offering? <laughs> Read Romans chapter 1 all the way through chapter 11. Jesus did the sin offering. He's responsible for that. We couldn't do that. There's nothing we could do to, 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 uh, that was enough to atone for our sins. Jesus is enough. Chapter 12, we, Paul's appeal to us is that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We present ourselves as a thank offering and as a tithe offering before the God of all creation. That's, that's the appeal here. Uh, it, it's to present yourself to God both as a thank offering and a tithe offering in a way that acknowledges his goodness to you and what really belongs to him in the first place. Newsflash, Christian, you belong to God. Right? We belong to him. And, and so, verse 2, he's like, okay, so you, you want to know what that looks like? Well, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Well, how do I get... How do I be transformed, Paul? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, that what is good and acceptable and perfect. One of the things that would be, I find helpful and encouraging is sometimes, you, you, you can do this, is read the prayers in the epistles for the churches. Uh, particularly Paul's prayers. Like in Colossians chapter 1, just verses 9 through 10, the words, I don't, I, the words are not on the screen, so just listen to this. He said, hey, this was Paul's prayer for the church. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may, listen, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. He, he's appealing for the same thing in Romans chapter 12. How do, you, how do you do that? How do you discern the will of the Lord? This is so practical. By the renewal of your mind. Well, how do you, how do, you do this whole renewal of the mind thing? You listen to his voice through his word. Uh, R.C. Sproul said something that was helpful, and I just want to share it with you. It was in light of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He said this, listen, and I want you to listen carefully. The words are on the screen. It doesn't matter what your job is or whom we marry or what city we live in. If you are not growing in sanctification, seeking God's will about such things is worthless. Listen, if you... If you are not renewing your mind through his word, you will not know what his will for your life is. Now, I'm not talking about, it's like, you know, some of the hardest decisions are the ones that are, they're not moral decisions, they're just decisions, right? Like, do I take this job or do I stay at the job that I'm at? Like, those are hard decisions to make. It's clear as mud. Why? Because there's no moral issue there. If there was a moral issue, like, do I work for the mob or do I work for the, you know, for the grocery store down the street. Work for the grocery store down the street. That's God's will for your life. If those are the only two options you have, don't work for the mob, right? But most of us, most of us aren't faced with that dilemma. Most of us, it's this job or that job, and there's no real moral issue there. And so how do I discern the will of the Lord? I'll, I'll get to that a little later in the sermon. But um, So continuing with what, what, what R.C. Sproul said, he said, God's will for each of us is that we grow into spiritual maturity, that our lives become morally full, 
more fully set apart and consecrated by the Holy Spirit, and that our minds are changed. After that, we will be able to tell what is pleasing to God. Then we will be able to know what he wants us to do, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen, listen. Um, I've had people in my office who have said, who, who, who said that they believe that living, although not married, with their boyfriend or girlfriend together and sleeping in the same bed, but they felt at peace about that. And if they just read the Bible, they would discover that that was not God's will for their life. If you are, like, it, whatever's going on in your life, if, if it's marital issues, if it's you're in a relationship that's ungodly, or whatever it is, the first step you need to, to ask yourself, or the, or the first step you need to take is to ask yourself, what does God's word say about this? And if God says, if his word says no <laughs> about this relationship or about this decision and it's clear in his word, then don't go down that path. You will go into, you will walk, journey into the realm where uh, uh, you will pursue a life that is not God's will for your life and it will break your heart and it will wreck you and it will lead not to joy, it will lead to emptiness, depression, and death spiritually. And so, that's not in my notes, but I felt like I needed to say it. Um, which leads me to this next point, verses 3 through 8. We were saved to live sacrificially. Did you know that? You were not saved to, to warm a seat on Sunday. You were saved to live sacrificially. Right? He, he, Paul says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, he tells us. He tells us in the, in the very next verse, in verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body. He's talking about the church. Like if, you want, if there's any passage in the Bible that makes a case, a strong case for the importance of the local church, it's that passage. You cannot do the Christian life alone or lone-ranger style or in your home when you can be together with God's people. And so he's, and I'm going to make, the, I'm going to show you why that is, because he, he says in verse five, so we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, meaning we belong to each other. Now that, now that God has saved you, we belong to one another. There are so many one another passages in the New Testament, love one another, serve one another, and I can go on and on and on. Um, we need one another. We need one another. Timothy Savage, in his book on what it means to be the church, capital C Church, wrote this, and uh, the words are on the screen here. It says, God strategically distribute, distributes the gifts among his people, ensuring that the local church or that local churches are vested with resources necessary to thrive for his glory. He arranges the members of the body, that's, you, that's us, the members of the body, each one of them, just as he desires. So for some people, and we're going to see this as we unpack the passage, for some he gives the gift of teaching, for some he gives the gift of serving, for some he gives the gift of mercy. And listen, listen, these gifts that are listed here are supernatural 
gifts, not Superman with a cape kind of supernatural stuff. No, these are supernatural gifts that God empowers you to serve one another for the purpose of accomplishing his kingdom purposes in the world. Did you know that? Like, how many of you are Christian in this room? Okay, so I think almost every hand or all, every hand went up. Guess what? Newsflash, God has spiritually gifted each and every one of you. He's giving you at least one spiritual gift. We're going to look at seven of them here. There's others that are listed in the Bible. We have a course uh, called the uh, Meadowbrook Partnership Pathway, and we spend like two hours, uh, a whole two-hour session on who the Holy Spirit is and how you can discern what your spiritual gifts are. And that's going to be offered sometime in the near future, and when it is, I'd encourage you to sign up for that. But... Um, but each of us were given these gifts. So Paul says, for, the by, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Meaning every single one of us has been given a spiritual gift. Paul was set apart to be an apostle. You want to know what one of Paul's spiritual gifts were? Teaching. You could see it all through his epistles. He, he was called to be an apostle. That's in the office. That is, that is a place of service. He had witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ, but he had been uniquely gifted for that office. And it goes on uh, in, with his list. So what is the list? Well, he provides it for us in verses 6 and following. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us, what? Use them. If you're looking at your Bible, let us use them. Well, how do we use them? Well, I'll get to that. But here they are. If prophecy in, propor in proportion to our faith, if serving in our service with one another, who, you know, uh, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who uh, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, you know, so I, I, I have this list on the screen. You know, prophecy. Prophecy is the, the gifting to speak forth God's message to his people, to aid them in, in understanding what, he will, what his will is for their lives. Uh, there are, I mentioned this before, there's two types of prophecy. There's prophecy that's foretelling, and then there's prophecy that's forthtelling. I think the predominant use of prophecy in the local church is forthtelling. Not foretelling, but forthtelling. I believe this is an area that I think I believe this is one of the spiritual gifts that God has given me. Some of you are like, have come to me and, and said, "Did you? Did you? Were you talking to me on on Sunday? Like, did you know my what's going on with my life? Did you know my stuff?" Nope. Um, that is God speaking. To, you know, the Holy Spirit using me and speaking through me. I actually, we, I had this conversation with uh, my my boys the other day. Um, I, I don't want to know all the junk, That's, especially when it comes to Sunday morning. I don't want to know all the stuff. Now, there's stuff I need to know. Like if your marriage is a mess and you need help, I want to know. I want to help, you know, that kind of stuff. But, but most of the time, I would say 99% of the time, when you think I'm talking to you, I don't know what's going on in your life. God is using that. Uh, so service is a gifting to identify those things that need to be done. However, many, min, min, yeah, my, my mouth's not going to work. Um, small, how about we just go with small? However small such things appear 
and to use whatever resources needed to accomplish such needs. Uh, teaching, the supernatural gifting to instruct others in the Bible and in, in, in local, systematic, or logical, systematic, and inductive ways to effectively communicate God's word clearly. I believe that's, a, that's an area that God has gifted me. Some people God has gifted with multiple spiritual gifts, and some people he hasn't. Um, I think sometimes he gifts you for a particular season in your life, and, and maybe sometimes removes that gifting and gives you another type of gifting. That's kind of where, I'm, where I lean. There's uh, exhortation, the supernatural gifting to come along someone to encourage, comfort, console, and counsel them with the Word of God. There's giving. Super, there's, you know, it's a supernatural ability to share material resources God, that God has blessed you with for the good of others and the glory of God. Usually these people who are gifted with the spiritual gift of giving, he has blessed them with financial resources. That's not always the case, but it's I, I think it's kind of the norm um, that God has material, he has blessed you financially to give in a way that, that blesses others and glorifies him. And then leadership, it's a, the gifting of leadership to give direction for certain tasks of, uh, to the body of Christ with diligence and courage and the ability to motivate others to get involved in the accomplishment of, of those tasks. And then mercy. It is the, uh, the gifting to, uh, of sensitivity towards the physically, emotionally, and spiritually hurting and needy. This person is gifted in his or her ability to care with words of compassion and tangible acts to alleviate their suffering. Um, and here, listen. These giftings are not gender-specific. Two weeks, we'll talk about that. <laughs> um, they're not gender-specific. There are women who God has gifted in a, a, supernaturally as amazing teachers. There are men that God has gifted supernaturally as amazing s servants. Now, this doesn't mean that if you're not gifted in the area of service, you shouldn't serve. <laughs> this is just that, ex this is that ability, that, the extra ability just to be able to see things and to be able to do things that God has uniquely gifted you for, for the, for the purpose of building up his church and engaging the mission that he's called us to, to engage. And there's a bunch of, there's a list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, some of those is administration, discernment, faith, knowledge. Administration, by the way, is not my spiritual gifting. Ask anybody that knows me. Ask any, any of the staff, they'll tell you. Uh, faith, now, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't try to stay organized and do administrative tasks. I'm just not spiritually gifted in that way. And some people will say amen. My wife would probably say amen to that. Uh, faith, knowledge, helps, tongues, and the ability to, uh, the gift to interpret tongues. Some of you are going to ask me, so do you believe that the supernatural gifts are for today? Yes, I do. So I, I do. We could talk about it sometime. Come to the Meadowbrook Partnership Pathway, and uh, we'll flesh that out some more. I don't have time to do that today. But, uh, but there's, all, there's all kinds of gifts that God has gifted the church. And, and here's, here's why. If you're looking at your Bible, I, I, I hope that you're able to see this. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. So, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
What does that look like, Paul? That looks like placing yourself on the altar of his will to be used by him to bless his you know, to bless the church and to engage the mission that he's called us to. And, then, and, and, and this is when you do that, this is what it looks like, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And on and on it goes. That's what it looks like to use your gifts. You know, in, in the context of the local church, uh, as you engage the mission that he's called us to engage. And not just in the local church, but, you know, whatever world you find yourself in, your place of employment, um, you know, wherever it is, your neighborhood, your family, like I believe God, God has gift. Like I said, God has gifted me with the gift of uh, spiritual gift of teaching, and I believe prophecy as well. I think faith is probably another one, and I, I see that being used and expressed in the context of me engaging and talking to people who don't know Jesus. But that is that is that is what it looks like to to live your life as a living sacrifice. The best way to discern what God's will for your life is is by listening to His Word so that it shapes your thinking and your heart. And the only way to present yourself as a living sacrifice, listen, this is is not rocket science, is to engage his mission. It's to do it. That's the living sacrifice. Think about what that means. Think about the, the language that Paul uses to describe that. Living sacrifice. You're doing something as you're presenting yourself before the Lord. And and so, you know, I had a mentor who said to me once, he said, he asked, it was actually in, a, uh, he's still my mentor, he said in one of our Bible college classes, he said, class, you know, you know the easiest way to turn the wheel in a car, the steering wheel in a car? It's when it's moving forward. And he asked, you know the best way to, to walk through a door is to turn the knob? <laughs> Um, when you are re- using his word to renew your mind and you, you're faced with a decision as to whether it's a church to, to get plugged into or, or a job that you know, you've got several options for, for employment or whatever it is or school that you're thinking about going to where, where it's not really a moral decision but it's just it's a decision, decision that you have to make. The best way to discern the will of God is to move forward and trust that he is big enough to shut the door. You know he's big enough to do that, right? But God's never in heaven thinking, I didn't think of that one. I wish I thought of that a little more clearly. Okay, that's not God. He's sovereign, and he's big enough to work through all that. But the best way to discern the will of God after, after, or as your mind is being shaped and renewed by his word is to move forward. And to trust him. Here's the other thing I just think that you need to hear. And this isn't in my notes. I just feel like this needs to be said. That, uh, that just as God is big enough to shut the doors or to open the doors, he's big enough to deal with the mess of your life. And all you got to do is to trust him. 
to take those steps of faith, saying, okay, this is not easy, this is hard, I don't, I don't know how we get to where you're calling me to go or calling us to go or whatever. I, I'm willing to take those steps because I love you, Lord, and I know you can make what, this thing in my life, I know, I know you can turn this around into something beautiful. And I, I, I've seen him do it time and time and time again. Um, each and every one of you has been gifted with a spiritual gift. Every single one of you. If you're... Uh, if you're like, hey, I want to know what my spiritual gift is, I'm not a big fan of spiritual gift assessments, to be honest with you, uh, but I think they could be helpful. We actually, we actually ask people who go through the Meadowbrook Partnership Pathway course to, uh, to fill out a spiritual gift assessment. If that's something you want to do, if you think that would be helpful for you, on your, hand, on your bulletin that you walked in with, just indicate that on the tear-off thing and put your email, and we'll email that to you. It's a PDF document. You can fill that out if you think that will be helpful. Here's, another, here's the primary, here's the best way to discern what your spiritual gift is. Get plugged into Meadowbrook and start serving. Yep. Just, yeah, usually your spiritual gift lines up with, with your passion in life and, and the way God has wired you. Um, Get plugged in, you know. Uh, just look at the different areas you can you can serve, you know, here at Meadowbrook or even just outside of Meadowbrook, and just start doing stuff for God's kingdom. That's the best way. And the local church, the local church, will, you know, God uses the local church to affirm to affirm the gifting of His people. Did you know that? This is why I believe in ordination that it should happen in the local church, I mean, when it comes to the ordination of, of uh, individuals. Like, Thomas is going to go through the process of ordination where he'll, he'll have to write a whole thing about what he believes, and he'll stand before a council of pastors, and he'll have to defend what he believes. And it will be the local church, that's us, and it will be those, those men um, who will affirm the calling that God has already placed upon his life, and he'll go through that process just like I've done and so many others before me. The local church affirms the gifting of God's people, and the only way local church can affirm your gifting is if you're involved in the local church, beyond just showing up on Sunday. Here's the, here's the awesome thing about all this, and that is <laughs> we went from being dead spiritually to being made alive before God through the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. Like his grace was greater than your sin and my sin. And, and what he's doing in your life is amazing. It's, it's amazing. And he, he has a plan to use you. He has a plan to use you and, and to, uh, for the purpose of his kingdom. Somebody said, the marvel is, you know, like God doesn't need to use us. The marvel is, is that he chooses to use us, that he wants to use us. We, get, we all, every single one of us, has a part to play on, on the stage of his redemptive plans. Some of you know, like my parents were told I would never be able to go to college. I was not smart enough. That um, I, I could barely speak in front of two people, you know, as a teenager. And uh, God, God was like, just wait. I have a way of doing my thing in a way that only I can do it. And, uh, and that's true for every single one of you in this room. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life, and he's uniquely gifted you for that. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.